Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Academic Life, a podcast series here on New Books Network. I'm Dr. Christina Gessler, the host of the channel. Today, we'll be talking to Moza, Mona Rosen Hamlin about marketing academic books. Welcome to the show, Mona. Hey, thanks for inviting me, Christina. It's a pleasure. I am really glad you're here. You have sent me several authors and books, and now I get to interview you about what you do over at Syracuse Press. But before we get into that, I hope you will please tell us a bit about yourself. Sure. I've I've been in marketing for what seems like a lifetime now, probably, um, gosh, about 25 years. Um, The press itself has been around the Syracuse University Press around 77 years, so I'm I'm not that old, (laughs) but... uh, I work at a wonderful place, and I originally started out, um, I went to school for journalism and ended up in a career in advertising, which I loved, and won a lot of awards, won a lot of trips, and that was a lot of fun, but then I decided to uh, go work at Syracuse University, and I started out in educational sales, training and placement, and I loved that, did that for 10 years, and then I saw an opportunity to get back into the, the field I actually went to school for, and a field I had a passion for, which is writing and books and publishing. And I landed a position with the Syracuse University Press, and I've been doing it now, gosh, about 13 years. So I've had um, the pleasure of being blessed and doing something I love to do every day and work with amazing authors on amazing projects. And I originally went to school for journalism because I thought it was a great way to learn something new every day and do something different. And when you work in publishing, book publishing, it's kind of the same. You work with different authors on different topics, different books, and you learn something new every day and meet exciting people every day. Um, What a lot of people don't realize with the university press is we not only publish books by our university authors, but also books, uh, mostly books from authors around the world globally. So absolutely fascinating job. Um, very, very interesting on a daily basis. Um, nothing's ever the same, and there's always new seasons of books coming, and it keeps it really exciting. And everybody at the press, the majority of people have been there, gosh, some have been there about 30 years or more. Most of the people that get into university press publishing get in there and they don't leave. They love it. Uh, it's a passion. There's not a ton of money in it. If you want to become a millionaire, it's probably not the ideal job. But it's a wonderful job if that's your passion. And um, all of us that do it feel the same way. So that's a little bit about me. That's what I do for a living. I'm married. I've got two children. I've got grandkids, although people always are surprised when they say that, when I say that to people. There's two dogs who are now in another room because they'd be jumping on the keyboard and getting in the conversation here. So um, hopefully you won't hear the two of those dogs. but that's about it. That's about all um, there is to tell for now. Um, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about your own uh, academic journey. Academically, hmm. well, I started out, I uh, went to school, like I said, for journalism. I was going to be a newspaper reporter. thought it would be an exciting job, meeting different people every day, um, finding about finding out something new about the world every day and being the first to know, I always thought that would be fascinating. And I grew up in a photography business, so I thought it'd be great to be a photojournalist as well. Um, I was a work study at the time, 
and was an absolutely terrible work study in the development office. And I always swore that when I grew up and graduated college, I was never, ever going to work for a university. <laughs> and, uh, lo and behold, for the last, boy, 23 years now, I've worked at a university and probably loved almost every day of it. Um, academically, I went, got my bachelor's degree in journalism and taken a lot of different courses over the years and um, wound up working at a university in marketing, um, promoting uh, various books and various subjects um, for academics and general writers as well. We also publish trade books. Was your undergraduate school, was it in New York? How did you end up in Syracuse? Um, it's funny to say it now because, you know, now that I'm older, I went to Syracuse, well, Utica College of Syracuse University because I fell in love with the mountains and I fell in love with snow. And where I grew up, there wasn't a lot of snow. And I thought, well, I want to go where there's snow and mountains. And, you know, after living in Syracuse for 30 something years, I'm not sure I love snow as much as I do, but that is actually why I picked this area to go to school and really haven't looked back. I've been here ever since, and um, it's upstate New York is a great place to raise a family and work. And for any any listeners who are not in the upstate New York area, wondered what it's like to live in upstate New York if you love snow and mountains, um, it's your ideal place. It's cost effective um, as far as living expenses, great people, great sense of community. Uh, great place to raise a family or run your dogs with parks and lakes and community. It's just a great place. And um, that's how I wound up here. And I honestly have no plans of looking anywhere else. Um, for now, I guess for now, life changes. As we all know, it's been a crazy year. So we'll have to see what the world holds for all of us. You know, I guess I don't plan that far ahead anymore. It's kind of day to day. Upstate New York is really beautiful wasn't quite in your neck of the words, but I did a fellowship at the Malay Colony mm -hmm. and uh, we had a lot of snow and I really enjoyed it while I was there. Um, so your job is as a marketing research analyst. What is that? What does that mean for us lay people who have no idea? Mm -hmm. Well, um, I work with a great team of people. Um, there's three of us in marketing and uh, one of us does the design. One of us does more of the writing and um my focus is really on the outreach and author events. So I research um, journals, review publications, bookstore organizations. Um, so I do a lot of research and try and target market an author's book to the right audience. So a market research analyst is someone that researches the market, targets the book to that particular audience, and tries to get um, as much um, press for a book as possible, whether it's a book review, whether it's a book talk, whether it's a, a media, um, a spot in the media, um, um, having an author talk at a conference that's related to the book subject, um, researching awards, submitting the book to applicable awards. Um, and in a university press, what's kind of unique is, you know, there's a limited budget. As a university press, university presses don't have the big budgets that huge trade houses have. So the marketing people for a university press have to be real creative and um, have great ideas and uh, have a lot of patience to research different opportunities and market the book um, the most economic way that they can do so that's effective. So 
it's challenging, but extremely rewarding. And um, our authors seem very happy. We've had so many repeat authors and it's always good to see familiar faces. And I guess with 70, I think it's 77 years now, the Syracuse University Press has done very well. And um, we're just a unit, small university press. How many books will you be marketing at one time typically? I actually can't give you a number because in marketing university press books, we're constantly working on at least three seasons at a time. So it seems like I'm working on a hundred <laughs> because some books we're working on getting endorsements for the books, for the manuscripts that have just been approved and come in. And then some books um, have come in published. Now we're working on book talks and book signings. And then some books are being proposed that we need to review. So it's constantly, you know, you're handling maybe, I can't tell you a number, maybe 30 authors at a time you're juggling at various stages. And the authors don't realize you're working with as many authors at various stages at one time, um, but your email does. <laughs> so you got to kind of juggle and make sure you're, you know, very organized and you know what process and what what phase each and every book is in. And like I said before, we've got an amazing team at the Syracuse University Press. Our marketing department is fantastic. And um, editorial production acquisitions, um, it all works as, as one unit and it, and it works extremely well. It's a team that's been around together for a long time. And a lot of books are at all different stages and we're all, it's a small group working on all the books in all the different stages. So it's really rewarding when you actually see the book published and you go, wow, that's that book that, you know, you first heard about it and now it exists. And the author is so excited when they receive it and gets their first review. And, you know, it's, there's so many authors out there wanting what it's like to publish a book, but I can say it's just an amazing experience. I mean, you have a concept and that concept becomes a book and that's a book that lasts forever. I don't think there's anything more rewarding than that to an author, to the author's family, friends, um, co-workers. It's just an amazing experience and we're proud to be part of that. You mentioned endorsements. Can you talk about what an endorsement is and if the author has to solicit those or, or the press takes charge of that? Oh, it's kind of a combination of both. Um, you know, authors will sometimes come to us with ideas, say, you know, these, these people are people they think we should approach and see if they'll endorse the book. An endorsement is a, a, what we call a blurb, which is really a quote that goes on the back of the book cover. And it goes in all the marketing materials and on the various websites. And it's people that have read the book or read the manuscript, love the book and have had great things to say about it. And usually, you know, they're scholars or other authors uh, who are known for that particular topic. Uh, you know, for a sports book, it might be an athlete. Like I've had books where the authors asked me to go after a quarterback like Donovan McNabb. Um, luckily, Donovan had been an SU football player. And when he was with the Eagles, you know, I had to do my research and go and find him and track him down. But he was kind enough to uh, write a blurb for one of our books. And uh, Jim Abbott, no connection to Syracuse, but the author really wanted Jim Abbott because at the time uh, that particular author had disabilities and his book was about growing up without lower legs and lower arms and what it was like to 
to live a full life and go on to college when you couldn't reach the counter in, in the cafeteria. And he said, I'd really love to have Jim Abbott, you know, pro baseball player, um, blurb his books. And I was able to reach out to Jim Abbott and get Jim Abbott to write a quote for the back of the book. That's a good challenge to have is to contact various people that you think will be ideal for the book or the author thinks are ideal for the book. Sometimes they're quite challenging. Sometimes they're impossible to reach, but you keep trying and it's, and it's a great feeling when it happens. And I got, I would say 95% of the time, you know, it happens. And um, that's a good thing. Like Ellie Weisel for Holocaust books. He's very popular. People love to have him learn the book. Um, so we've been real successful at that. And it's, a good feeling to accomplish that when the author sees that they're super excited. You mentioned that you can be working on three seasons at a time. So mm-hmm. how far in advance do you find out about a book and get started on marketing ideas for it? Well, it's kind of like a movie. I always, I always compare it to a movie um, because you're going to start early. You want to have all your information ahead of time so you can present it to, to sales reps who work for us across the country that present to bookstores nice and early. Um, you want to promote a book like a movie, you know, do as much as you can before the book's published to generate publicity for it and then send it out when it's actually published to particular reviewers, but the reviewers are contacted ahead of time for interest. And um, it's basically the equivalent of a movie, you know, when a movie comes out, you see all the, well, not as much anymore, but you used to see all the different trailers and promotion. And then when the movie's out and then when the book is published and done, then you're really moving on to the next movie. It was similar to a book and bookstores are the same, you know, they want to promote, you know, the new books. So we're always working ahead of time. Like right now we're working on, let's say it's kind of a blur to me. We are actually working on fall 2021 um, just uh, beginning work on fall 2021 and discussing spring 2022. And it's only um, February 2021 right now. So we're always working ahead of time. So it's funny in, in publishing, if you ask us, you know, if we're out somewhere and you ask us what day and year it is, we have no idea because we're always working so far ahead. We have to actually take a step back and think, what, what year is it? Because we're working on way ahead of time. So that part's a little challenging, but it's all good. It gets us excited about books nice and early. How closely do you communicate with authors? Is Are they reaching out to you directly? Do you have expectations yeah. of them? How does that work, that relationship between you and the author? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's constant. I mean, the author, you know, for the most part, 99.9% of authors now use email to communicate. So we're in contact constantly, you know. I send them, we actually, we in marketing send them marketing questionnaires and we ask them, you know, what conferences they'll be at, you know, what publications they think would have interest in reviewing their books, what associations they belong to, learn as much as we can about their book and them and develop a marketing plan. And, you know, as we go along, the author will contact us with their, their ideas, suggestions, questions, you know, where are we in the process? So pretty much, you know, it's an ongoing email back and forth on a regular basis between all the authors. And it kind of drops off after the book is published and everything's been set up for them. And then all new authors <laughs> chime in. So email is always full, always, always, always full. 
So that's can you share a story about working on a particular book or with a particular author? Oh gosh, there's been so many. It's been almost 13 years for me now, and you know, there's I've worked with so many authors, but there, you know, there's some in every field, no matter what you do, there's people you'll meet that'll just make a lasting impression on you, and you're so blessed that you got to work with them. Um, one of my authors was Earl Lloyd. He was the first African American um, to play basketball for the NBA. And there's a book we published about him called Moon Fixer, written by Sean Kirst, a Syracuse writer, just a phenomenal award-winning writer. And Earl was, no matter who I talked to about him, you know, I contacted bookstores and organizations and publications and sports organizations, and everybody knew his name, knew him, and everybody said what a gentleman he was. And I thought what a nice thing. And then I started working with him and he was just one of those people in your life. You think this person is just the best person anybody can be. I mean, he was a a hero. He was an absolute legend, but yet he was humble. He was kind. He was polite, just an amazing person. I mean, he sent me a picture of him shaking. Actually at the time it was vice president Biden's hand in the white house with Biden holding his book, Moon Fixer, after it was published because he got invited to the White House to talk about his book as the first African-American in the NBA. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to get the White House to allow me to use that picture. That's one of the things in my 13 years I was not able to do, and I still wish I could do it. But the fact that Earl was able to get in the White House, shake Biden's hand and have Biden hold his book for a picture was just incredible, but he was just the greatest man, made a huge difference in the world. And I got to work with him on his book and meet one of the kindest, most gentle souls I've ever met. And it was an honor. And it was a few years back and he has since passed. And they, I just got an email the other day that one of the organizations is um, in the midst of putting up a statue for Earl Lloyd. And that's just incredible. And I am super excited about it because Someone like that deserves it. He's just an incredible, incredible person. Um, there was an older author who wrote a book, Our Movie Houses. Uh, it's all about local Syracuse, upstate New York movie houses and their history. And he was so enthusiastic. He would come in every day because he was local to talk about his book and with more ideas. And he was just so much fun. He was just the greatest guy. And, you know, he had passed. And um, he's someone the whole press misses. He would come every day and be so excited. And he asked me if I can get Leonard Malton, a movie critic at the time, to review his book. And I said, you know, Norm, his name is Norm Kime. I go, Norm, the likelihood of Leonard Malton reviewing a book about Syracuse, New York movie houses, it's not very likely. And he said, well, it's my dream. So I said, okay. I go, that's a big dream. But I always liked the challenge. I thought, what the heck? So I, it was almost impossible to find Leonard Malton. Eventually, I found Leonard Malton, contacted him, asked him if he'd be willing to read this book about Syracuse movie houses, explain why, what made this book so exciting. And he agreed. And not only did he review it, but he actually made it one of his picks for Christmas. So it was just such a huge thing. Norm was so excited. I'll never forget when he came in. He was literally jumping up and down. It's just something I'll always remember. Um, 
there's so many people. There was a woman, and let me know if I'm going on too far. There was two. No, women. these stories are fabulous. Keep right? going. Okay. There's there was two women actually. These two women I will absolutely never forget. Um, one, her name is Zuzi Osvath, and she teaches at the University of Texas. And she's a little girl. Well, she was a little girl who survived the Holocaust in Hungary. And her story, when the Danube band read, was about surviving the Holocaust as a little girl and running through Hungary and hiding and listening in a house by the water, by the Danube, as all these Jewish people were, were literally shot and thrown into the river. And she's hiding in a house in the dark with the power off. And her story is so powerful. It was almost impossible to read without crying. And yet she came to the United States and became a professor. And she still is to this day at the university, I believe at the University of Texas. And she asked to come to New York City to do a book talk. And um, I don't remember now which organization, if it was the Jewish Museum or the Holocaust Museum, one of the two, I think it's Holocaust Museum. I asked them, I said, would you be willing to bring in this author? And she's from Texas. And um, we, long story short, it happened. And I drove down to see the talk because I live in Syracuse, not New York City. So it's about a four hour drive. So she flew in. She was set up to talk. And honestly, she's from Texas. Um, I believe she was a first time author. I didn't know who would actually come to this book talk in New York City. I was afraid maybe nobody Although I had read the book and her story was so amazing. And, you know, I sat there with my husband and we waited as people walked in the door and I greeted her and I gave her a huge hug. And I watched and watched as that place filled up. There was not an empty seat. And as she talked, there was not a dry eye, including myself. <laughs> Even now, it just, it actually does make me sad. But um, just... I will never forget that moment, her telling her story, her true story of what she went through and not a dry eye in the house, learning what it was like to be her and how she overcame it and became a college professor and has helped people to this day. And then there was another author, similarly, her name is Helena Gaynor, and she wrote a book, Four Letters to the Witnesses of My Childhood. She too was a young girl. She actually was blonde hair and blue eyed. So that's how she survived the Holocaust um, over in Europe. And she was left all alone, just a little girl running through Europe trying to survive. And because her eyes and her hair, people would hide her. And her story is letters to people and what happened in her book. It's just beautifully written, absolutely beautifully written. She's won poem poetry awards. She's just an incredible writer, but telling her life story and after I read her book, I thought, how could you not be angry with people after what they did to you? I mean, how could you not carry that anger? And she actually came to the United States and decided she was going to help people and actually became a physician. She's now in her 80s or 90s, actually, I believe in her 90s, retired from being a physician, but spent her whole career helping people in the United States as a physician. And just these kind of people... And the books they've wrote, their stories, you know, you don't ever forget them. And, and no, we're not a trade house. We're not this huge house that, you know, puts out hundreds and hundreds of books. But I believe the books we put out have an impact. They make a difference. They tell a story. And it's a story that won't be forgotten. You know, we, and we do trade books, too. I mean, there's a book called The Tumble In. 
which was on, um, oh, I'm trying to think of the name of the publication and just got wonderful reviews. And it was basically the story everybody wants, wants to do. You know, it's about a couple from New Jersey. They decide they want to run away from their lives and open up an inn in upstate New York and what happens. And it's just the greatest story. And, uh, it was just a fun read, you know, not a true story, but just a fun read and something everybody thinks about doing someday, just running away from their lives and opening up an inn in a small town somewhere in the mountains. So another great story. But um, there's been so many, you know, and I guess that's one of the things that's wonderful about working in a university press is the kind of stories you get to tell and talk to people about and the authors you get to work with. It sounds like Syracuse has a very diversified list. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we, um, my coworker, Lisa Kerbis and I, um, she markets books as well as I do. And what we kind of do is split the list. And I handle television and pop culture, Jewish studies, Native American studies, peace studies, sports, New York State history, um, trade books. Lisa handles some trade as well. And she focused on Middle East studies, Irish studies, um, peace and conflict. So we've got, you know, just a wonderful uh, group of series that we've been working with for years and are known, you know, pretty much globally. You know, after all these years, we've got a great reputation. Do you have a pretty substantial home library then? You've worked on so many books. Is it tempting to just want to keep a copy of every single one that you've promoted? Yeah, well, I have a lot at my desk at work. I'm working remote now due to COVID, unfortunately. But at home, I actually take home only the ones where the author really meant something to me. All our books are good. So I keep them all at my desk at work. But the ones that make it home are the ones where it's an author that I won't forget. And uh, so that's, you know, that's a very select list. Those are people that will stay with me forever. But yeah, I definitely have a library at work of all the books that I've worked with. And it's fun to look back on them and remember their stories. But yeah, the, the authors that touch my heart, those are the ones that I bring home. But those I want to keep forever. One of the things that you uh, had mentioned before we went on air was uh, talking about managing author expectations. Oh, yeah. Can you, can you tell me what you mean by that? Well, I think every author, especially a first-time author, you know, your book is your baby. I mean, you are so proud of this. You've probably spent years and years working on it, thinking about it, dreaming about it, spent your life putting it together and your sweat and hours and hours and hours. And it's, you want it to be the next Harry Potter and you want it on all the bookstore shelves in the front. (laughs) You want to win the national book award and that's all under, and you want to make a million dollars because everyone kind of thinks, well, you know, why can't it be like Harry Potter? Well, in reality, there's very few Harry Potters. And, you know, it's kind of the expectations are everybody wants, everybody's book is special to them. And, and truly, they, the books we do promote are, are, are special in their own ways, every one of them to special audiences. But likelihood of it becoming a Harry Potter you know, that's, that's kind of rare. So we kind of have to manage expectations where it probably won't be a Harry Potter, probably won't be in every bookstore across the country. And it might not win the National Book Award, although it, will, it might win other awards. So we, you know, we basically 
let them know, you know, there's millions of books published every year and um, just manage expectations as to what's more realistic well, and who their market is. You know, this book on European history might not be the perfect market for certain audiences, but will be the perfect market for other audiences. So we, we kind of manage the expectations by really working on the market for the book and explaining that market to the author. Most of them understand, but some their expectations as first-time authors sometimes they don't realize. And everybody wants to be on every shelf in Barnes and Noble, but that's not so easy to do. Yeah, especially you know as a university press book. You've talked about what you do to but, market books. What what do you ask the authors mm-hmm. to do to to partner in that and help market the book themselves? Well, that's really, that's a great question because it it is so important. And a lot of first-time authors don't realize that, you know, it really, really is a partnership. The more successful a book is, the more likely the partnership was a good one. Um, Our marketing department will be out there promoting the book. You know, we'll be sending emails. We'll be um, sending review copies. We'll be promoting it to organizations and listservs and contacts, um, having our reps promoted to all the bookstores in various in the U S and outside the U S but the author, they're so excited about their book that their enthusiasm is contagious. So they should be contacting their local bookstores, their networks, you know, their different organizations that they, they are members of for speaking opportunities, basically promoting the book as, as, as well as we are. And between the two, you know, that's really how you spread the word about the different books. So, yeah, it's a partnership for sure. I mean, the author needs to be just as excited about it as we are and promote it equally. And, you know, some authors, you know, they might be a little shy or, or introverted and say, you know, I'm really not comfortable, you know, tooting my own horn and spreading the word. But you know, they don't have to go out and go crazy. I mean, they could just let their alumni associations know about it and they can tell their various friends about it or give us you know, people they'd like us to contact, we'd be glad to do that. And um, Yeah, so it's a partnership. Different authors are dif- have different expectations and comfort zones as far as that. Some authors are phenomenal at that. You know, they're huge on social media and every book they publish, you know, they're out there telling the world and having everybody spread the word and doing virtual book talks. And, you know, that's terrific. Those, those books seem to have the most success, the ones where the author really... Um, is as excited about it and comfortable marketing it. How has the pandemic changed all of that, both on the author side and on your side? Well, um, boy, the pandemic, I'll tell you, it's one year, what now more than a year. It, you know, I can't wait to look and see it's behind us. Um, but, you know, what we had to do as marketers is say, okay, well, these doors are closed what do we do now? And we've done, I believe we've done a really good job with that. We've set up, instead of going to conferences, which a lot of times our press, our acquisitions editors go to conferences and they meet with potential authors about their books. Well, now that the, the uh, conferences are no longer in person, we've set up virtual conference booths on our website where people get a discount for that particular conference books, like a television and pop culture um, books, those will go on sale in March for the SCMS conference, which is virtual. And uh, 
So we've set up virtual booths for conferences. Um, we've set up, asked our authors to do virtual book talks and then promoted the virtual book talks as if they were at a bookstore. So we've tried to do everything virtually that we normally would do at bookstores or at conferences. And um, a lot, you know, when there's been, you know, there's reviewers as well that normally receive the hard copies of books and then they review the books for their publications or journals. You know, and their their offices are closed, so we've been sending PDFs as requested via email to them so that they can review the books without, you know, having to go into their offices and get hard copies. So all in all, it's been very challenging, um, very rewarding because we've tried new things and the new things have been effective. And it's a growing experience for us and a, a good growing experience despite a very difficult time. I thought I read an article today in Publishers Weekly. I think bookstores are down. I think a third in sales from COVID and that's, that's pretty big. So uh, I think it's been extremely difficult on the bookstores and, you know, that's bothered us because you know, we work hand in hand with the bookstores and we enjoy working with them and we wish them the best and hope this blows over pretty quick. But yeah, it's been challenging. Um, but you, what are you going to do? You got to figure out new ways to do things. And we continue to do that and we'll continue to do that as Publishing evolves as COVID evolves because publishing itself has changed as well. So, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it all being over soon. And I think we've learned lessons from it and grown from it. If you, if you look at the positives. What do you wish more authors knew about um, scholarly presses and about their, the book process in general? What's unique about university presses is you get more personal experience because we're publishing less books than a huge trade house will be doing. So, you know, there's a small staff, but we know who you are. We're all working on your projects. We're a small team, so we're all familiar with your projects, no matter whether we're in acquisitions, marketing, editorial and production, business office. It's one big team that works together as a unit. And is really familiar with your project and really looking forward to your success. So there's more individual attention. Um, it's just a great experience. And university presses are nice in that, you know, we're all different. There's different university presses all over and all different states, and they've all got different specialties. So we all kind of work together. And um, if we have authors who have books that don't fit what we're doing, there's other presses that we know of that the book might fit better. We'll send the authors that way. So university presses, it's a very unique industry where we're not competition with each other, but we actually work all work together. And we have different series that we work on and different presses have other series. And, you know, hopefully we'll all work together and figure out what, what's best for the particular author. And then, you know, the, the, series that we publish, the books that are in those areas will do well with us and they'll get a lot of attention, a lot of support, and we'll do our best to let the world know about them. Um, a lot of times authors don't realize it takes a little while for, you know, a book to be published. I mean, I think that's standard everywhere. It's kind of like making a movie. It doesn't happen overnight. There's different steps involved. Um, I think that's the big key. Um, just be patient, stick to your dream, uh, keep your passion, and uh, 
You'll be real excited when your book is published and it's something that lasts forever. So, yeah. For would-be authors or first-time authors, um, sometimes we don't know the etiquette or we're worried about what the etiquette is. Do you have some tips for do's and don'ts for on brand new authors? As far as like contacting uh, bookstores or reviewers or? Are there any particular no-nos or is there any etiquette? I, I have a lot of friends who are authors and sometimes they, they just don't know how to bring up certain topics or they don't know how often to approach different members of the team. So since you have the inside scoop, um, can you, can you talk directly to the authors and would-be authors who are listening about some of those etiquette tips so they won't worry so much? <laughs> well, number one, don't worry, because we don't mind. We don't mind being contacted. We have some authors that email everyone in every department. And <laughs> it's, it's okay, but we try and steer them towards the right department. What happens is there's different phases. You know, the book will start in acquisitions and editorial and the acquiring um, the acquisitions editor will acquire the book and then it'll go into editorial and production and it'll go to, then it'll go to marketing. So there's different stages the book goes through. And as it goes through those stages, then the context changed, you know, that the author should be working with depending on the process of where the book's at. And we'll, you know, we'll clarify the author if they're not sure about that. We don't mind getting emails to different people. So that's fine. We're, we're a tiny group. And I think a lot of university presses are similar to us. Um, so that's fine. Just email email us and we'll let you know who the right person is to talk to. Maybe it's more than one. Um, as far as reaching out, we've got a lot of authors that want to like hound like the New York Times and, you know, different different publications and Publishers Weekly and Library Journal. And, you know, it, it's good to be excited about your book, but at the same time, you don't want to hound the different um, publications out there and the bookstores it's good to let them know about your book, but don't overdo it. Like some authors will go a little crazy on it and you want to, you know, let people know about your book, but don't, don't be too much that they'll block you. <laughs> it's kind of, it's a kind of a fine line. Um, and give us, let us know your wish list and we'll work on it. Um, what else? You know, be realistic, I guess. Be realistic as far as awards, you know, if you're thinking about the National Book Award, look and see who's won it and what type book and see if that's really realistic because a university press is going to have a limited budget. So that's got to be used to the best that's available. And, you know, make sure your, real, your expectations are realistic. But, you know, email us. Let us know what you're thinking and we'll, we'll help you figure it out. Um, I won't worry too much about offending anyone or overstepping boundaries. I mean, we're welcome to questions. We understand first time authors are new to the game and that's okay. And uh, we're glad to help them. And I don't think any question's a silly question. Um, yeah. I mean, they are free to go to bookstores and say, I've got this book. I'd like to do a book talk. Would you be interested? And those are all good things. I don't think they should ever be worried about talking to University Press publishing their book or the Trade-Offs publishing their book. Just ask your question and we'll give you the best answer we can give you and hopefully it helps you and you can ask another question if you, that didn't answer it. But I don't think there's a particular etiquette. I mean, 
University presses usually have their submission requirements on their website. Those are pretty particular, so stick with those. You know, read those, see what the process is, and go with the process. And then from there, we'll kind of walk you along and help you through the rest of it. But don't be intimidated. You know, you may be turned down by a lot of different presses if the book is not a good fit for their, their different series, um, and that's okay. But if you look at a website and get an idea what the series look like, then you'll have a better idea where you want to submit your book and where you'll have a better shot. But, you know, university presses do turn down, I don't know, maybe 90% of the different proposals that um, they get. And it's nothing personal. It's just it's got to be a good fit for what the press is publishing. Um, so keep trying. There's a lot of presses out there. So, you know, don't give up your dream and your, your book will be published by the right press for the right book. So keep at it, you know, don't get discouraged. Also, I tell people, you know, again, I consider a book like a movie. And a lot of times, you know, you might have the best book and you'll get you know, five amazing reviews and then you'll get one that's not a good review. And the authors, they're heartbroken. But it's just like a movie, you know, it depends on the reviewer. Everybody has different tastes. It's like art. It's like a movie. Some of my favorite movies, you know, were, were movies that were panned. Everybody has different tastes. Reviewers have different opinions and never take rejection hard because the next reviewer is going to say glowing things about the book. And everyone has their own opinions. So that's a big thing too. You know, when you get reviews, you know, critics are critics. Sometimes they'll be good. Sometimes they'll be less good and um, keep going and you'll get more. So that's a big thing. People take that sometimes too hard. Most of our books get great reviews, so we don't have to worry about that too much. But every once in a while, you'll get one review. You'll be like, wow, where did that come from? But all the other reviews are good. So you take it with a grain of salt. So I guess that's a big thing for authors. That is really helpful. I notice on social media how hard people take rejection letters. And I know that I do. Um, but just to see other people putting it out there, this is apparently the rejection time of year right now where we're taping where people are getting a lot of letters that they were not hoping for. Um, and your advice about keep going and don't take it personally and you will find the right thing for you, I think will resonate with a lot of people right now who really need to hear that. Good. I'm glad to hear that because, I mean, your dream is your dream. Don't give up on your dream. But make sure it's realistic. You know, look up the different presses. Look at what they're publishing. Before submitting, don't submit blindly and, and make sure it's a good match because every press has their own specialty and, and that'll help your odds too. And it sounds like it's okay uh, if a press rejects you to try to reach out and say, do you know who does publish what I do? Do you know who does have an editor who, who wants this? Yeah, we might, we might have an idea who, you know, what's, who has a, a series that fits well for that type book. Because every press, you know, has different focuses. They're all, you know, they're all, some of them have similar and some have very different. So we might, yeah, the acquisitions editor of the press itself might have ideas for them. Sure. Yeah, they can, they can reach out. Absolutely. You've told us a lot about the different parts of your job and, and some very wonderful books that you were a part of promoting. In the few minutes we have left, uh, do you want to tell us um, what's your favorite part of your job? Ah, oh, my favorite part of the job. Okay. Well, I think it's um, working with the authors, working with authors that are making a difference in the world. When I'm working with an author on a book, 
that I think has lasting impact. And then seeing that manuscript become a book and that author just get so excited when that book is published and they've got it forever and they've got it for their family and friends. And it's something that's going to outlast even them and tell their story or an important story. I think that's the most rewarding. I absolutely think that's the most rewarding. And then seeing wonderful reviews come in for great books and great authors. It's always so fun to share them and say, guess what? Um, And Hunting in different blurbers or people to write the endorsements and getting the ideal ones that the author really wanted and the reviews are beautiful. That's always rewarding too. It's, you know, there's so many rewarding things about, you know, position at a university press. Every, Every day is pretty much a rewarding experience. It's a lot of work and a lot of juggling. But like I said, there's a great team at the Syracuse University Press. We all have our own roles. It works together like one unit. And we put out great books and with lasting stories. And I won't be here forever because eventually I'll retire, but the stories will continue. And I can be proud of what was done when I was there and the next person can as well. It's it's great to work. You know, you won't make a million dollars there, but... It's, it's so rewarding that it's worth it. I mean, it's something you're proud to do every day. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Mona Rosen-Hamlin, and telling us about your work marketing academic books. I'm Dr. Christina Gessler. You've been listening to The Academic Life on New Books Network. Please join us again. <laughs>